You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Center, this is the first ever Colts Blue Zone Podcast alongside longtime Colts reporter and Fox 59 CBS4 Zone Mike Chappell. I'm Dave Griffiths. Joe Hopkins along with the board will chime in from time to time as well. Mike Hey, here we are, a new medium to get into for you. This is, uh, this is something special. When you get to my age, there's very few things you do for the first time. <laughs> and this is one, so this, this is a milestone. From Looking forward to it. We've got a, a lot of things to talk about now and moving forward. And where else can you get that kind of inf- information but from me and you? What's great about this, and I think the Colts fans will appreciate, is how we can really dive into topics and get a lot of analysis on one or two things. For me, doing a sports cast on a... Thursday night, I get two and a half minutes and I have to fit in five different stories, you know, and I still get people complaining that, hey, I put IU before Purdue. You know? uh, so so here we can fully get into Colts. We can talk about different free agency things that are approaching the team, different decisions that Chris Ballard has to make. When it comes down to the draft, what are we looking at? When it comes to the offseason and, uh, and OTAs, what's going on on the field? But right now, Our focus for this, we're going to dive really into the last season and really uh, get into the minutiae of, I guess, everything that has happened between last year at this time and now. Just a season recap. But to do that, I really do want to start with some of the things that have happened recently, Mike, and that is some transactions since the season has been over because they they show what has happened during the season. I think the most recent thing that happened, Marcus Hunt getting a deal from the Colts or agreeing to a deal. He had a career season, 31 years old. He comes over from the Bengals and just really exceeds expectations, and he's awarded one player that Chris Ballard brought in and had a better-than-expected season as a reward with a new deal with the team. And that's what these moves right now are showing. It's a reflection on on how last year went. Maybe if that 1-5 start turns into... Four and twelve again. Maybe we don't see Mark Glowinski. Venetieri's probably back, but with the Marcus Hunt, it's you, and the, the more you talk to Chris Ballard, it's about fit. It's about being a fit in the, on the scheme in the locker room. And Marcus Hunt is a fit. Mm-hmm. He's in Cincinnati. What was he? A second or third round draft pick? I think a second round pick, who was primarily a special teams player. And Heck here, of a special teams player too. He could right. block field goals, but but. A, but a special teams player, right? And now he's gotten two decent, got a decent contract from the Colts two years ago. I think it was two years, four million, I think. And this one is two years, and with you can earn up to ten million dollars. That's that's, you know, financial security money for your family. So, this is a guy that has found a niche. He was given an opportunity. He's a great inside outside fit. You know, get up the field. These are the kind of guys you don't want too many of them because this is still going to be a young defense. But th- this is a 30-something player that fits, and it just shows you while there is a blueprint to be young in the draft, that if, if you come in and you're effective, you're going to be here a while. But on the other hand, someone who was effective and is not going to be here is offensive line coach, Coach Gouge, Dave DeGuglielmo. He, he was maybe the most effective person on the Colts coaching staff turning helping turn an offensive line into what it was, arguably the worst in the league to what it is now, arguably the best in the league. So at the same time, you mentioned Chris Ballard emphasizes fit. Obviously, he did not think Coach Gouge fit into what he wanted to do in the future. Well, this is a Frank Reich fit. It's, it, to me, it's not so much a Chris Ballard fit. It's, it's a Frank Reich fit. And this is going to be one of those 
strange moves that I don't think we're ever going to get to the bottom of. I, I really don't. This again, there were there were three coaches that, that were in place before Frank got here, and, and Gouge was one of them. And as it turned out, it was a you know again he he was arguably like like you said the most effective coach to get out of what this group what he did. There was something there that he wasn't Frank's guy, and to say that Frank brought in his guy is, is not right because Chris Strasser mm-hmm. has, has no connections to Frank Wright. So how, how this thing came about to me it was just whether personality, whether how he handled practices, how he handled the room. We, we talked to Frank Reich at the Combine, and it was one where he'd say, well, I don't, I don't want to go too much into that or whatever, but mm-hmm. it's clear he wants his own people in place. And, you know, the byproduct is not only you get a new coach and assistant coach, but you get Howard Mudback, <laughs> so, which was really one of the strange things, things that Frank never saw coming. He, he called Howard Mudd to sort of get some advice and counsel on, on Chris Strasser, and lo and behold, he says, hey, I, I need Howard Mudd back here. But to go back to the original thing on Goosh, I don't know if it was, again, his style of coaching, how uh, maybe, I don't say confrontational, but how, how upfront he is with people. It didn't work, and they made a quick move. And, again, I think it's going to be one we don't ever really get the bottom line on what happened. Well, I guess Frank Reich is starting to, well, has started, more than started, has really laid the foundation for what he hopes to do in the future. And if you look one year ago, Mike, getting more into the the recap of the season that we hope to do uh, through this podcast, one year ago, Frank Reich is hired in the middle of February, and he come he's coming into what was really a disaster of a season last year, 4-12, and one of the worst teams mm-hmm. in the league one of the worst offensive lines in the league, one of the worst defenses in the league. But of course he had Andrew Luck coming back. You know, that was nice. When you look at what Frank Reich has accomplished from last year until now, what do you think he will point to as saying, hey, this is one of the most important things that I have accomplished in year one that I can build on for the future of this Colts franchise? Probably putting his imprint on the team, how, how to do things. how to. And it's funny, when, when we're, the, those of us that are out there every day, we sort of get worn down like with the Chuck Paganoisms. Mm-hmm. And, and Frank sort Keep of has... Keep chopping wood. And we laughed at, at some point, but, but Frank's the same way. He, he really, he's, I don't want to say wears you out, but he pounds home you know, a 5%, 10% better every day, every day, every day. And he believes that. He believes that how you, know, how you play is how you practice. It's how you prepare. And he's got these players buying into it. Talk to Andrew Luck, and, and they wear you out too. It, it's It's... It's not looking ahead. It's I'm looking forward to tomorrow's practice and the next day's practice. And while we sometimes roll our eyes, these players bought into it, and you could you could see the 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 improvement. If you go back and look, the one in five start there there was reason to reach for the panic button. There mm-hmm. really was because they they it wasn't they were getting overwhelmed. They were simply beating themselves. Go back to the opener and Jack Doyle. They're driving to win the game, and he fumbles, and it's returned for a touchdown. If he doesn't fumble, they win that game, and then how things change. A couple drop passes against Houston in overtime. So he didn't panic. He stuck with it. That's that's moving forward. That, that's what he was able to He had these young players buy into this is how we're going to do it. Trust me. You know, really, and it was trust me, this is how we're going to do it. It'll work. And this is from a guy that had been in the league for, what, two, three decades as a player and a coach. Been successful. So Some highlight moments, you know, the, the Buffalo years is the backup, the greatest comeback, and then the Super Bowl in Philly. He's been there. He's done that. He was a voice of experience. But the players bought in, and that's what you want. 
So moving forward, what, whatever they do, draft picks, free agents, the culture, if you want to use that word, which is overused a lot of times, but it's getting in place. The locker room is getting to be where it wants to be, and that's because Frank Wright and his staff put it in place. More important, the players bought into it. The offense is, of course, Frank Reich's specialty, and you saw what he can do with an offense and what he can do with a star quarterback in Andrew Luck, who is completely healthy. We don't have to talk about that. But keep in mind, Frank didn't know that when he came here. No, he did not. No one knew because Luck had not started throwing the ball yet. And and one of the strange parts of Frank's interview with Ballard is he never mentioned Andrew Luck's name. Right. So all all that's happened is they didn't know Luck would be there, but, but he does have him now. Points per game. 27. That's the second most of Andrew Luck's career. Yards per game, 386. Second most of Luck's career. Fewest sacks allowed, third most run plays. He's still passing the ball a lot. 60-30, or rather 60-40 about right now. I think that's that's kind of where the NFL is going, Correct. though. So you, you can't you can't bemoan that fact, especially since so many of the passes are quick passes. They're three-step drop, get it out there. So a 60-40 run, uh, pass-run ratio is not a bad thing anymore in the NFL, and that's about what the Colts were at. So how can this offense take a step forward next year? Because we saw what Frank Reich's potential is. We saw what Andrew Luck's potential is under him. I would think, and I think it's not reasonable to expect them to take another step because, well, as you said, Andrew Luck wasn't even throwing yet at this time last year. He didn't know Frank Reich last year. He had to start getting into the playbook last year. Now he's got that base. He's got the foundation. He's got the knowledge. And Frank knows more what Andrew is capable of. So they can work together. And I, I asked Chris Sims actually about this at the NFL Combine just the other week, saying, should we expect them to be better? And he said, absolutely, because now they have a year together and they should know each other better. Even though the NFL, the un, all defensive coordinators or other coaches know a little bit of what's coming, these two guys know what they're capable of as well. And with that foundation, they should be able to even take this offense to another level. Well, and keep in mind, a lot of times a player is better his next year back from an injury. Yeah. So, again, luck misses a year, he's back. And go back and look, September wasn't a great year or a great month for Andrew. You could tell his the arm wasn't there yet maybe his confidence wasn't there so year two back from from having an off season to just relax and be and and just sort of to do what you normally do in an off season where you're not always rehabbing year two back from that should, should be great second year back in the system should be enormous to me the reason there should be that next step is personnel Mm -hmm. you've got you simply have got to add another weapon we harp on this after T.Y. Hilton. What? I mean, does anyone really think Eric Ebron is going to have 13 touchdown catches again? Maybe Eric does, right? But I think that's going to say he's number one in that line. <laughs> well, wait till Jack Doyle comes back and plays 14, 15 games, and we'll see. But you've got to have a, a compliment who can get downfield, whether that's a draft pick, which that that's asking a lot. Deion Kane, that's asking even more. Yeah. The fact he's come back from an ACL. I just, I just kind of get tunnel vision this time of year on free agents, and they've got to find a free agent who, who can step in and really be that number two guy. It's not Dontrell Inman if he's re-signed. It's not Chester Rogers. It's not Pascal. That guy's not here. Who is it? I'm hoping that the free agency market delivers that, whether it's a Tyrell Williams. Golden Tate doesn't really 
you know, give me shivers and all that. So well, th- someone else who used to play for Detroit coming in as well, Golden Tate, Eric Ebron, the, oh, the Detroit Indianapolis Colts. Now. Well, yeah, Dante Moncrief's out there too. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll pass on that. But that, that, that's that's the next step. Is is the, as good as this offense was? Andrew Luck throws thirty nine touchdown passes this year, and look at look at who he was throwing to. It's, was it thirteen different? Receivers, I believe it was thirteen, which ties a league record. And some of those names, at, 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 you don't want to disrespect these players, but these are not top-end players. Right. T.Y. and, and Ebron, okay. But, but then you've got all these guys, the Marcus Johnsons and Ryan Grant. Mo Alley Cox. Mo Alley Cox, who's going to be a part moving forward. Which was a tremendous catch, by the way, in it, Oakland. It, unbelievable. Ryan Hewitt. Yes, he, he, he was of course. Number 13. Uh-huh. So, but you've got to find that guy who can stretch the field and take some – of the load off Ty, who I thought had his best season. Mm-hmm. I've been a critic of Ty, thinking that he's he's not been that lead dog that you really need. And this year, I think he he played tough. He practiced what two or three times mm-hmm. in December, and was just he was there. So it, he he won me over. Not that he, he's going to lose any sleep when he didn't, but <laughs> they need that second guy who is not here in my mind. And I, I'm I'm right there with you on Ty. I wasn't sure, honestly. A couple of years ago, if he was a legitimate number one receiver in the NFL, I just I just didn't know. He was small. He had trouble fighting off a big cornerback press coverage. He was easy to be easy to be taken out of game. Yes, you could which do we that. saw. And and you could still do that to some extent, just because if you get a big good cornerback on him, it's still going to be difficult for a small wide receiver to get free right at the line of scrimmage. That's just what it's going to be. But I think he showed tremendous improvement last year uh, on the field and off the field as well. I I think maybe. Being a year or two removed from Reggie Wayne in the locker room really, really helped. Because at first, he did not, like you said, he did not have to be a leader in the wide receiver room at all because Reggie and, was and there. He, that wasn't, to me, not his personality. Right. And, and some guys just aren't leaders. And I, initially, he wasn't. And, and, and that's not a detraction to no. him. I want, want to be, be clear. Some people are straight leaders. They'll get in your face. Some people are not. It doesn't mean they're good. It's hard to make somebody a leader. Right. And, but I think T.Y. has grown slightly into that role. He, he saw that there was a void without Reggie Wayne in there, and then he grew into it. And now what the Colts have is is certainly, I think, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL and a right. number one guy. And you don't need to get another number one. You want someone to compliment him. One, a 1A or a 2, and it's got to be a guy who can get that the, the, the big catches at the right time and be there every game. Joe, hop in. So I just wanted to throw in here to the We can call point. it Joe Hop in since he's Joe Hopkins. Sorry, <laughs> right. go ahead. That works pretty well. I just wanted to throw in a little stat that illustrate your point. The Colts were 0-5, including playoffs, when their opponents scored 30 or more, kind of just showing that they need another weapon. They don't have the firepower to outscore people right now. And we're talking about complimentary guys and T.Y. being small. Do you think the Colts have to go out and find a larger receiver, like a 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", type guy, or just someone who fits, who can run routes, and it doesn't really matter how big they are? I ran into Reggie Wayne at the Combine, and, and he was asked that question, and he used a couple of obscenities but said, I want a guy that can just catch the ball and can be – so he doesn't want to get pigeonholed into size or slot or whatever. He wants a guy that simply – Plays the position. Reggie wasn't a, a big guy. What was Reggie? Six foot? I believe so. Six or six one. So. And, and you get the impression he was bigger because he he played early with Marvin, and Marvin wasn't very big. So, but Syracuse I, University, Marvin Harrison, just throwing that out. There. That, that's where all the Smurfs go play hey. or go to. Yeah. But no, I I don't know that. Well, maybe that you like to bring in the guy that's 
Six three, six four. I think Dontrell Inman isn't he six two ish. I believe he's six two or six three. So, but he's he's not a, a thick six two guy. But and he was a great pickup. Mm-hmm. But I just think they want a guy they can rely on. And if, hey, if he fit, if he brings measurables, six two, six three, and two fifteen, super. But Reggie's point is, don't get caught up in this guy has to be this, that, and the other. Bring a guy in that can do the job, and, and the rest of it will fall into place. And, and I think that the Colts also have size really in their tight ends that if you need people to be big targets for Andrew Luck, you can look to that group. Eric Ebron, chief among them. He had, I don't know how many red zone catches he had this year, but it seemed like every time he caught the ball in the red I zone. I thought I saw a stat that 10 or 11 of his touchdown catches were red zone. I believe maybe, so. Maybe 12 of them. And so it, 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 that's quite possible. And so he's there. You got Mo Ali Cox, another big guy who's there, who's a guy who's only going to get better since he played college basketball mm-hmm. and is developing into an NFL tight end. So. And, and Jack Doyle excels yes. in the red zone in those short. So And we didn't see everything they did this year, for the most part, was without Jack Doyle. Because mm-hmm. he had that hip injury early yes. and then the kidney late. So did, you know Frank Reich's never really had a Jack Doyle to see what he can do. And, and he had sort of been Andrew Luck's uh, security blanket. Mm-hmm. My, my one concern over – the passing game, and this is a Frank Reich issue, and hopefully they'll prove me wrong. This past year sort of showed they think they can scheme guys open. They can, their scheme is good enough that you can you can get by with middle of the road talent, and they did for the most part. But in, in the long run, you've got this. This league's about talent. It's about playmakers. How many playmakers are on offense? Andrew Luck, T.Y. Hilton. I suppose we'll put Eric Ebron in there with an asterisk being the fact it's one year and he had more TD catches this year than he had in four years in in Detroit. But the point is you've got really two guys, and this league's all about playmakers. It's about three or four guys on each side of the ball, and that's what the Colts – the Colts have got a really good roster of solid players on defense, the Dinko Autries and Jabal Sherrods and people like that. But difference makers, you're starting to see that with Darius Leonard. But on offense, you've got two guys, mm-hmm. and you need more. Marlon Mack maybe is going to be that. We'll see. I mean, he, you know, missing four games, I don't know if they need to go forward thinking he's going to miss three or four games every year. But when he's on the field, he can be a difference maker. Well, he averaged 75 yards and 4.7. The 75 yards translates into, what, twelve or 1,300 yards for a season. Yep. The 4.7 is one of the highest per carry – uh, averages they've had in, in their indie history. So the, the guys are, they, they got solid players, but they need playmakers, a few more playmakers on both sides of the ball. The running backs are really interesting to me because I think it's a, it's a very, it's a diverse group of three guys that works well together, which is Marlon Mack, first of all, which you mentioned, also Naheem Hines and Jordan Wilkins, the two rookies from last year. It's, it's strange to me how well they work because, I don't know, you, you thought that Marlon Mack, when he was drafted, he was going to be more the Naheem Hines role. At least that's what I thought when right. he was drafted. I didn't think that he was a bell cow type guy. He might have proved me wrong there last year. Then Hines comes in. He has 63 catches. That's the third best among NFL rookies last year. Had more than 700 yards receiving. He was clearly a great target out of the backfield for Andrew Luck. And I'll tell you this, at the beginning of the year, there were a lot of people who were very skeptical about Naeem Hines, and I count myself as one of them because of his preseason performance. How many fumbles did he have? Fumbles and drops. We, we, he had a couple of bad preseason games. Then we go to training camp, and a couple of plays he's dropping the ball. You're thinking, 
Holy smokes. Oh, this, this is your number two guy until Robert Turbin comes back. Mm-hmm. Remember Robert Turbin? Uh, he's, people forget him quickly because of how the other two guys right, did. So, but you're right. There, there were questions. This group worked well together. Jordan Hines sort of got to be that third down guy. Jordan and, and, Wilkins. Jordan, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, Jordan, yeah. Jordan, Jordan Wilkins. So, again, I, I think it's a good group. Will they add more? They need a fourth guy. Jonathan Williams, maybe, which I couldn't pick out of a lineup right now. <laughs> Me neither. But but I, I think they showed that, that they've got – the pieces in place. That's why the talk about the Le'Veon Bell to Indy was more from Le'Veon Bell yep. than from Indy. And you, to pay $16 million for running back is ridiculous. I think they've got what they need at running back. I, I, I agree. Joe? Of, of the three guys there, they're all pretty young. Um, going forward, who do you think is going to make the biggest jump next year? I mean, Hines had a lot of catches, but we didn't see him really be able to use that 4-3 speed. Um, Wilkins... You know, yards per carry average was great, but not a ton of opportunities. And then Marlon Mack, can he do it for a whole year? Of those guys, do you think one of them's really going to jump forward? Let me say, first of all, I just don't think that Wilkins is going to get the opportunities to do it. I think he's a good back, but I, I, I'd take him out right away. Not that he's not that he's a bad back. I don't think so at all. But I just don't think that his the step he takes next year is all that significant because there are still two guys ahead of him. And along the same lines, I think that, it's going to be hard for Hines to do that much more because I think these are the roles they're going to be. You're going to have Marlon Mack be the guy that's going to get the 20 touches or 20 carries a game. That's going to leave seven or eight maybe. For, for Hines, they really like to use Naheem Hines as that change-up guy, as the maybe a slot receiver, which also that plays into the, do they need a really – how much do they need help at receiver when you've got a Hines? Well, you still need a receiver. I mean, right. Hines is a running back, so – I don't know you're going to – maybe the jump will be that Max stays on the field for 16 mm-hmm. games instead of 12. And, he, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he, as a rookie, he had the shoulder injury. So I'm not sure we're going to see quantum leaps other than if Max stays on the field, the numbers will be so much better because, you know, availability. So we saw, was it four 400-yard games by mm-hmm. him, first time since 07 with Joe Adai, mm-hmm. 148 yards in the playoffs. At Houston? Yeah. I mean, at Houston? Right. One of the top five defenses in the league. So I don't know if you're going to see that quantum leap other than if Max stays healthy, the numbers will be that much better. Let me make a case for Hines because last year, especially early in the year, when we talked to Frank Reich about the rookie running backs, he was always saying, we have certain uh, we have certain sets where they are in. And that was the case throughout at least the beginning of the season and probably throughout most of the season, that, hey, we have these plays and these formations where these guys are in because they're young, and although you throw a lot at them, you don't want to throw everything at them and confuse them too much. Now, like we were talking about earlier with Andrew Luck being year two under Frank Reich and being able to get a little bit deeper into the offense and the details, I think the rookie running backs now in their second year have a better understanding of the offense and now you can throw Naheem Hines out in more formations because he has a better idea of what he's supposed to do. You can throw him out more times when he's supposed to pass block. I mean, he's a small guy, but he can at least chip somebody and give him. But, but more than 63 catches? That, that's what I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, true. So, but, so I, 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 barring injury, I, I think if you look at the, the ratios, I think that's what I expect moving forward. Mm-hmm. So, again, I, I think Hines had a great rookie season. When, again, like you said, when, when there were concerns, and maybe he will be more involved in the offense, but boy, more than 63 catches, that's going to be tough to do. Do you think they try to put him back at punt return again? Because <laughs> he, like it, it, Joe said, I mean, he is, he's blazing fast. But, 
but you got to catch it first. Yes, you do. And, and, and you know, ball security. My, of all the things that Frank Frank harps on, ball security, ball security. And how many times we saw Chester Rogers uh, two years ago have issues, and, and then they still put him back out there. But I, I would, I would, I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. But I, cause, you know, if they if they bring Chester Rogers back. Maybe he still does it, or that's a guy you find. Mm-hmm. You always seem to find your your return guys last. Mm-hmm. And the way the league's going, I wouldn't spend much on a on a kick returner because they're they're making that an obsolete play in the right. game. But yeah. I guess I wouldn't try Hines again because he, he he didn't appear comfortable doing that. Although he did it some in college. You know, l- let your eyes tell you what you should do, and my eyes tell me that he shouldn't be back there. My eyes tell me the Colts' defense was probably, after the offensive line, the biggest surprise to me last year. The offensive line, obviously, going from worst in sacks allowed to best in the NFL in sacks allowed. But the job that Matt Eberflus did with that defense to immediately turn it into one of the worst in the league to capable, even. Top, top 10, top 11. Was, was stunning. I did not think it was coming, especially with how young they were and just... The lack of moves last year in the offseason, I would say, you know, Danico Autry comes in and is like, eh. But then he goes and gets nine sacks. Right. You look back postseason, you're like, did he have nine sacks? Yes, because he had three or four games that he was just right. unstoppable out there on the field. So the defense, they made the right moves to to get to be capable in the NFL, to be a decent defense. So, Well, it, it helped to get Darius Leonard. Of course. Defensive rookie of the year. Of it, course. It helped for Tyquan Lewis, although he was you know in and out with the injuries. So I, I thought the, the the job he did with his defense, and there are times that this four three Tony Dungy defense drives you crazy because they, uh, the one area they weren't good in, and Dungy's defenses seldom were, were third downs. Mm-hmm. They were near the bottom of the league in, in third down efficiency. Uh, the passing numbers are off the charts. Quarterback pass rating with seventy percent completion percentage. Well, that's what this defense does. Yes, it gives you the underneath plays it it forces it to drive the ball this the Colts were one of the best in the league at preventing big plays they made you grind it out and th- again I, I they they did it with scheme they did it with middle of the road personnel again Danico Autry was primarily a role player mm-hmm. with the Raiders you know Jabal shared I think he he's found a home here he, he he's one of the absolutely more, he's one of the more underrated players one of the more I put him along with Eric Walden one of the guys they signed several years ago from Green Bay as far as free agent acquisitions, what he did, what he didn't cost him great money, and what he's done. Uh, the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, that's the kind of guy Ballard wants in this locker room and on the field. Great guy, great personality, and a pretty darn good player. He, he led the Colts in tackles for loss. Like People, if you if you asked Colts fans, I'll, I'll bet they would not guess Jabal Shear. 91 right. tackles for loss as a team. Darius Leonard had 12. You'd probably be your first guess. Hey, oh, yeah, Darius Leonard, right? No, he, Jabal had 14, and then Danico and Marcus Hunt each had 13. So. And, and Anthony, Anthony Walker had 10. Yeah. They had five guys, I think it was, with, with, with a double digit. That just shows you this is an attacking defense up front. They want to get after you. That's what the previous defense really didn't do with the tackles for loss. And those are the plays that make a difference. It just You want more sacks. You need more sacks, interceptions. But, but the plays for loss – where instead of it being second and six, it's it's second and eleven. Mm-hmm. It's second and fourteen. It allows you to do so much more. So the pieces are in place, but again, more on defense and offense. Who are your playmakers? Where do you get your play- where's your pass rush? Is it Kamoka Ture? 
It's not Terrell Basham. Hmm. He's gone. Right. So and that's what I've talked, we've talked in the media room about. This team is in that bad cycle of chasing mistakes. Mm-hmm. Jerry Hughes, Bjorn Werner, I guess you could say Jonathan Newsom, and Terrell Basham. These were supposed to be your pass rushers. And here you are still wanting to know where's your pass rush guy. Not as a group, but that player. And I won't be surprised if, if they try to find that in free agency. It's tough to do and because people, if you're not John Gruden, you don't let elite pass rushers go mm-hmm. and then wonder how you, and then, <laughs> one, and then wonder how you get them, which, was, which is one of the great comments of all time. You know, these guys are hard to get. Yeah, you had him. Mm-hmm. So uh, and, until they can find that guy, it's going to be by group. Was it Kenny Moore? Let him with a franchise record. Franchise postseason record. Was it like three? Three or three and a half that, sacks. That, that's, that's crazy. But that, that's where you're scheming. You know, Frank Wright schemed to some degree to, to make the offense work, and Eberflus schemed to have his pass rush work. To me, you scheme when, when you lack the talent because you don't have the guys that win one-on-one. They need to find that guy, and that guy's not here yet. Talking about scheme, we had a few scares this offseason. Do you think there's any chance next year that Matt Eberflus isn't you know, swiped away as a head coach somewhere? He'll definitely get looks if they continue to be exactly what they are or that, that, even improve. That's how it works. Now, now yeah. one thing you might want to see, if there's a league going to start going to offensive coordinators more than defensive coordinators as far as head coach possibilities. But all, all that this does is help. Matt Everfrost down the road, and he they, he and Nick Sirianni both made it clear they want to be head coach. And the way you do that is being a successful coordinator. And another year, another two years with this, his name will simply get be, be more and more prominent. With And with the guys they had on the defensive line, I think it, it gives him just all the more, um, I guess, it gives him better credentials just because these guys have been in other places in the past. They came because, here. Because these are guys. Exactly. Like like you were saying, they, they need – they need more than just a guy. They need someone special to really take this defense to another level. And that's, that's what makes the Tony Dungy defense work, is guys like they had here for years in Freeney and Mathis off the edge and getting other teams into second and 14, third and 17. Right. And then you can keep the ball in front of you like this defense is supposed to do. Allow the completion, that's fine. Don't allow the first down. And, and that's what this team was pretty good at. They, they, they were very good at limiting the big plays. Again, they make you drive. But it, it's the sacks and the interceptions. It, it's a quarterback hits. And they did a good job of that again this past year. But you need those guys that, that coordinators stay up for at night. How do we how do we slow down Freeney? Well, we do that. We got Mathis. And, again, that's the, the, the deal with, with Dungey's defense is they, they had some really good players, Antoine Bethea and – Gerard Powers and all these players, really good. Cato June, Gary Brackett, but you had the pass rushers. It's amazing how much of a better coordinator you are when you've got Freddie and Mathis on the edge. You're a, you're a better coordinator with uh, Darius Leonard back there in the right. middle, too. I mean, right. yeah. And the thing is with the pass rushers, the, the, the Colts got there the different ways. You get Freeney was, what, he's the 11th overall pick. Mathis was the fifth-round pick. Yep. You, can, you can't. First, you don't you don't want to be drafted on eleventh because that means you were four and twelve or whatever the year before. But to think you're going to get a pass rusher in the fifth round, it's it's like tr- hoping to get Tom Brady in round six. Mm-hmm. You're just you just the stars lined up. So, but but I thought that, again to get back to Eberflus, what he did with this group, some really unknown corners, Pierre Desir, Kenny Moore, 
uh, and Quincy Wilson took took a major step. He he had been an immature player, that and he had even followed him into this year. They get Mike Mitchell to come in, and Mike Mitchell sort of took him under his wing and said, "This is how you do things, kid." In the last half of the year, we saw Quincy Wilson really step up. Can you expect that next year? You hope so. But that's why, again, there, there's so many areas in this defense. Uh, safety, they need help at safety. They need help at cornerback. They, they need a, a, a stand-up number one corner, especially if they lose this year, which is very possible. Mm-hmm. But up front, the front seven, it's is where, if you ask Chris Ballard, offensive line, defensive line, that's where he concentrates. That first-round pick was at number 26 in the draft. It's If it's not a defensive lineman, I'll be surprised. I, I, I don't know how important cornerbacks are specifically to Tony Dungy's defense, too. So I don't – Kenny Moore is really good. I like him a lot. Jason David started in the Super Bowl yeah. against the Saints. So that's that's making my point. There you exactly. go. Exactly. So you can you can put guys, as we were saying, out there – but you need you need studs on the defensive line. It helps to have a guy uh, at the will linebacker, and they absolutely have that in Leonard. And having a safety like Malik Hooker again, who uh, who does not allow people behind him because right. a he's fast and he just plays back there ridiculously far. I think so many other guys get looked at in this defense. Kenny Moore gets a little attention, and you got some for his franchise postseason record in sacks ridiculous Darius Leonard gets a lot of attention obviously well-intentioned and well well received he should get all everything that's coming toward him Malik Hooker gets very little in my opinion and I believe he should get more because his presence is incredibly valuable to the to the system that they run not allowing people behind him and He's not afraid to mix it up either, even though he has battled injuries a little bit over his first two years. His problem, his perception, I guess, mm-hmm. he comes in as a rookie with, remember the Ed Reed comparisons? Oh, jeez. I mean, that's one where... Thanks. Thanks, I, Coach. Chuck brought that up, and then I think uh, Chris Ballard said, let's, you know, let's tap, tap the, the brakes. Tap the brakes. No, don't tap the brakes. Hit the brakes. Uh-huh. And then he comes in and has three interceptions in... Four se- or five games? I think it was it? seven games. Okay, I thought it was a little before less. Before he tears up his knee. And then this defense is asking him to do things differently. He's playing; it's not as much to where there's going to be those opportunities in there. So mm-hmm. you're not, you may not see the five or six interceptions from this guy. But how many, how many times did people go over the top on him? Not very often, right? Like you say, he's a physical guy. So I, I think he's a really he's he's a good fit for this defense without having maybe the Pro Bowl type stats. Now moving forward, will Clayton Gathers be here? We don't know. Will they go out free agency? We don't know. But I think he's he's a solid player, and maybe his if things don't evolve like you hope they do with him as far as being a pro bowler down the road, it might be the the perception people had when he came in here when when you when you're compared to Ed Reed right out of the gate, and this was coming off his injury at Ohio State, it's it, it reminds me of a little bit of Rob Morris uh, back in the day when he was a late first round pick and was a pretty good player, yeah, but he was never that guy. And you're always sort of tagged by being you, you didn't live up live up to your first mm-hmm. round uh, credentials. Malik's a pretty good player. Let's go to special teams now. We've talked offense, we've talked defense. Uh, the Colts special teams has been one of the better units in the NFL for for a decade at least because you have Adam Vinatieri, obviously, but he's 46 years old. How 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 much longer can can Vinatieri last, Mike? I don't know. I Because really, last year he even showed signs that he, 
I don't want to say he took a step back because I don't want to be that guy to say that, but it wasn't his best season. I guess you can't you can't make a final judgment until it becomes a trend. One year is not a trend, but I think that last year, looking at the stats, he would have liked to have a better year just because of a couple missed kicks here and there that probably shouldn't have happened if you're Adam Vinatieri. Right. And what 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 kind of jumps out at at you is the, the Kansas City game, right? Field goal and an extra point, if I'm not mistaken. And that's it, what that's what lingers with you, you know. Well, but at the, at the same time, then Andrew Luck was awful. Yep. And the offensive line was awful. So it's it's like let's all pick, pick the same day to be awful. Mm-hmm. I thought over the stretch of the season, he, he, Vinatieri's 23 of 27. One of the misses, I think, was a 50 plus yarder, a deep 50 yarder. One was blocked or hit hit the upright. So. Over the last six or seven years, he's like 90%, and he's like 70% from 50 yarders. I didn't notice a drop-off in, in in performance as such. He had the injury mid-season that he fought through, and how long can he play? I, I don't know. He's, I think only four players have played at age 46. Mm-hmm. Only like three have played at age 47, You know, starting with, with uh, like George Bland and Morton Anderson. So I, I think he'll play as long as he he always says I want as long as I'm a asset, not a liability. Mm-hmm. And the problem with kickers sometimes is is they when they lose it, they lose it. Yeah, there's no tapering. It's just you fall off the cliff. We saw that with Mike Vanderjack back in the day. But uh, I, I just I, I think they stick with him as long as he wants to play. Now when he starts going eighty percent instead of eighty eight percent, then then you'll move on. But I don't think he'll. I don't think he'll let it get to the point where he'll have the team tell him he's, he can't play. Hmm. I think he's a guy that has enough pride in what he's doing that he'll he'll know when it's time. You hope it's after the season as opposed to in November when it's obvious a guy's not kicking well. Because mm-hmm. the one thing to me that's that's the most amazing about Vinatieri is that he's in a position that teams have the least tolerance and patience with. Mm-hmm. The first sign of 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 not performing well, they, they change. And this guy's playing whatever it is now, 18, 19 years, whatever, 23 years, whatever it is. <laughs> so I, I just think that he'll know when it's time, but why would you make the move until you have to? And, and that's maybe what I felt I, I'm falling victim to, just remembering the very last image of him that I saw and being like, oh, shoot, I don't know how long he can last. Right, right. So. And again, that's if and I take the approach, if that's the case, then you're going to junk the offensive line need to change the quarterback. The T.Y. wasn't very good. So I remember again talking to Chris Ballard the other day at the Combine, and he's not letting that one game taint what was a very, very good season overall. It'd be easy to do because, you know, the, your last memories are, are the ones, are the, are the freshest, are, are your last game. And, you know, for the most part, that game was awful. Mm-hmm. It, it was without question, in my mind, their worst game of the year. Maybe the Jets. I don't know. I was going to say that Jets was a pretty, pretty big stinker too. But you got Sanchez, R- Rigo. He's ju- he's just he's a young player. We we wondered how they were going to replace Pat McAfee, and, and here's the guy who steps in. Locker room's quieter. It is. It is. <laughs> but but he he's is he McAfee? No, he's not. But I tell you, he's one of the top five or six kickers in the league. Punters in the league. Directionally kicking, how many times did he drop the ball inside to five? And Several times. And he's got his special teams guys downing it. So just an amazing player. So they've got their their special teams. If they can work, work out the return, which they always seem to do when they're, they're, they're middle of the road, mm-hmm. which is about all you want, just don't make mistakes. 
Special teams are in good hands or good feet. I remember it was preseason. I don't think it was last year. I thought it was two years ago where Rigo was a rookie. Like it, he he was battling for the job with Jeff Locke, who they brought in from, from Minnesota. And then Luke Rhodes at long snap was battling with uh, with somebody else, another long snapper. I can't well, they, remember they, who they it was. Start, Tom Hennessy. Yeah. A free agent from Tennessee or somewhere. Yeah, two two veteran guys right. battling against two rookies. Right. And both the rookies went out. And my goodness, they haven't looked back since. I remember talking to Vinatieri after they made those moves. Mm-hmm. And they got, they'd gotten rid of Matt Overton at the same time. Right. And I said, so who's your long snapper? He said, I don't know. He said, they've got some, some linebacker out there. <laughs> he didn't know the guy's name. And it was Luke Rhodes. But, uh, and that's the one group you've got to have. You, you talk about the offensive line working together and the quarterback receiver. If those three guys, the snapper, the holder, and the kicker, don't work together, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing how, how quickly they did it, how well it worked. So, again, I, until you just feel that these guys can't do it, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're not going to bring in a kicker, a, a place kicker, to be in the practice squad to groom for Vinatieri's departure. Right. You, you ride Vinatieri as long as you can, as long as he wants to play, as long as he's effective. When that time comes, you move on you and you find a, another guy. You're not grooming Jacoby Brissett to be, you know, like Andrew Luck's backup where, where you want him to maybe take over or whatever. The new, whoever the new kicker is, is not here. Right. You, you just can't waste a roster spot on a backup kicker. So then the offseason comes. The Colts bow out of the playoffs, and uh, they receive some well-deserved postseason accolades. Darius Leonard, Quentin Nelson, first-team All-Pro, even though Darius Leonard is not a pro bowler which was one of the more ridiculous picks of the year. Uh, Andrew Luck, comeback player of the year. Chris Ballard, Pro Football Writers of America, executive of the year. You see Ebron Nelson elected to the Pro Bowl. Andrew Luck goes there as well with Ryan Kelly, Danico Autry, and Leonard as an alternate. So a lot of, a lot of proper off-season accolades for guys. And we haven't really talked much about Quentin Nelson yet, so let's get into him because... The conventional wisdom is you don't take a guard sixth overall. I was against it. Uh, My my hand's in the air. I was against it. But I would say, looking back on it now, there's nothing, there's there's no way that you can say pick anybody else because of the impact that Quentin Nelson was able to have, right? If I could have gotten a pass rusher, Bradley Chubb, I don't know. Chubb wasn't there. He he, he went at five. I, I just have a problem, and I still do, no matter how great Quentin is, and he was off the charts. He's a guard, and I'm sorry if I offend all the guards out there, but I, I want a difference maker at six. But what they got is 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 a player that's going to be there for 10, 12, 14 years. He's going to be a pro bowler. He's going to be all pro. So it, it's my nitpicking and stubbornness that I, I don't want to take a guard at six. It was the first time since Jim Dombrowski with the Saints back in the 70s or 80s that a pure guard went that high, but it worked. And he was – he he helped change the culture in in the offensive line room. They talk about the nastiness, and then you bring in Matt Slauson. You bring you know Matt, uh, Mark Glowinski's here with Ryan Kelly and Costanzo. It was just a different group, and I, I think they really they weren't surprised by what Nelson did because they saw it all the time at Notre Dame. But when we see it week after week, he's out there. He's he, he's making the great blocks. He's you know the Brian Baldinger did his, his weekly highlights of of Quentin Nelson. But the thing that amazed me about Nelson is who was the first player every play helping the guy up? Every play. Every play. And, I mean, I don't care if it was 30 yards down the field. And it's, it's, it's just it's something small, but it's not. It just shows you 
how much he is into team and teammates. And then he's a pretty good player, too. When, when your best players, I go back to the Mannings and the Harrisons and the Waynes and the Freenies and the Mathis, when your best players have that it factor as well, you have something special. And, and you know what else that does? If, if the biggest guy on the field is coming down the field and helping the guy up, that's going to eliminate maybe one or two personal foul penalties, in my opinion, throughout the year. Because a guy gets tackled, and I don't know, the defender's getting up off of him, and he, just, he touches him or he pushes off of him in the wrong way, and people start messing with each other. If, if you have Quentin Nelson standing over him, there's a little bit less messing of each other going around it's, after it's a tackle. It's different messing with T.Y. Hilton on the ground, and then you've got Quentin Nelson, who's, who's sort of like the bouncer and the bodyguard. <laughs> totally. But, but again, I, as great as he was, and as great as the offensive line was this year, as, as very good as it was, people shouldn't forget to me the one reason the line took the great leap it did. Anthony Costanzo coming back against the Jets, missed the first four or five games at left tackle. It solidified everything. You, you don't have who's the next guy at left tackle. He, he allowed you to solidify the entire line. So as great as it was to have Nelson, and he's going to be a great player, Costanzo really solidified everything at the left tackle. We, we talk about underrated guys on this Colts team. I mentioned Malik Hooker on the defensive side, probably that I think he's the most underrated player there, even though he's a first-round pick, which is, I don't know, maybe maybe a little weird. Maybe I'm overstating things. But on the offensive side, again, with Costanzo, another first-round pick who's been here for nine years or so. 2011. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be nine years. Another guy who some Colts fans don't fully appreciate because – until this year, again, he has been there. He doesn't miss games, Mike, except for, like you right. mentioned, the beginning of this year. And so having a guy there to solidify the entire line is absolutely crucial at left tackle. So, so it takes him not being there, and you've got Jamarcus Webb. You're like, oh. And, and whoever else they had out there all that time, mm-hmm. Logan Clark. I mean, if it took that for you to appreciate it, then fine. But is he top five tackle, left tackle? No. Is he top ten? Probably. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard position. That left tackle – quarterback and pass rusher. Those are the three prime positions. That's why they get paid like they do. Solid player who in a year or two, they, I think next year's his, his contract year. Yep. So they've got to decide at his age, 30-ish, do you re-sign him? It's amazing. Offensive linemen can play a long time. And, and we'll get into these, I think, a little bit more as we go along in these uh, Blue Zone podcasts is um, some notable players for the Colts entering the final year of their contract. But Costanzo, he's going to be 31. Jabal Sheard is going to be 30 years old. Jack Doyle. Eric Ebron, Jacoby Brissett, Kenny Moore, Joe Haig, Mo Cox. Of those players, who do you think? Who do you think the Colts? Uh, let me let me figure out how to formulate that. Yeah, who who do they prioritize? Who needs to take a step in order to get uh, get noticed? And maybe who do you think is in going into their last year in Indianapolis? If there's any of any of that group that kind of stands out to you. I extend Costanzo. I don't, I don't know what – Chris Ballard's not been here long enough to know for us to know what his style is, whether mm-hmm. you let a guy play it out or whatever. I would re-sign Costanzo because in, in, in the next year you've got T.Y. Hilton. Right. And then soon you've got Andrew Luck. Mm-hmm. Again. Ryan, Ryan Kelly. Yep. So, uh, you know, I think Costanzo jumps out at me. Jack Doyle jumps out at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he just – Doyle just does what, what it takes to win. Mm-hmm. Jabal Sherrod's – going to be a tough decision again he's, he's that that plus 30 guy who who still plays very well uh, and then it's going to come down to if he has another great year is there more out there does he like it here the moali coxes those are the guys that you, you maybe you try to continue to develop they won't they shouldn't cost you an arm and a leg 
So they, they've got some guys moving forward uh, that they got to worry about. Castan's at the top. It's the top top of my list without question. So that's kind of the season recap, Mike. Anything that you think uh, that you think I missed that you think we missed that we need to get into a little bit more? No, other than again, it's when you're one and five, things could have gone so much differently. Mm-hmm. But as we started talking about it, it, it was the culture put. It, it was the approach put in place by Reich to kind of right the ship. And when they got it going, they were pretty good. We always wondered how good this team was. And when you can win whatever it was, 10 of 11, 9 of, nine of 10 in the season, and, and when you go to Houston twice in December, or December, January, and you win a uh, regular season, and then you really handle them in the playoffs, it just showed you where this team is with some moves. They, they started that with with uh, some re-signings. They'll, they'll be active in free agency. If this team doesn't step up and, and be a contender, then it's, it'll be because of injury. I, I just think this team is poised to make that not quantum leap again, but they were t- ten and six wild card. This is a team that should be right there for the for the AFC South and more because the the right pieces are in place. If you can add one or two around them, many reasons for optimism for Colts fans looking forward. But of course, also that the lingering feeling that you know there is another step to take when you look at the playoffs from last year and the loss to the Chiefs. So that's our Colts 2018 season recap. Plenty more to look forward to in 2019. We've had the NFL Combine here in Indianapolis. The draft is coming up. Free agency is coming up. OTAs. All that leading up to training camp. Nobody markets itself better than the NFL. That's true. The the only downtime is the end of January or June, beginning of July. Everything else, there's always something going on. I was going to say, Mike, do you remember when there was an offseason? No. No. (laughs) They've done such a great job of this. Again, there's always something going on. Owners meetings, combine draft, OTAs, mini camps. Uh, They've done a great job of keeping themselves in the news. Which, again, is why we're here, which is why we're doing the Colts Blue Zone podcast, because there's always something to talk about, and uh, there's no one better to break things down than Mike Chappell, who has been covering the Colts since the Mayflower vans pulled into Indianapolis. I was not on the Mayflower. No, he was not. I was already here. He was on the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. (laughs) Thank you very much. No problem. Mike Chappell, Fox 59, CBS 4, Colts reporter. I'm Dave Griffiths, Joe Hopkins on the board. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. That's right. And real quick before we go, guys, go ahead and tell people where they can find you on social media. You can find me on Twitter at DaveG underscore sports. I have a Facebook page as well. Just search Dave Griffiths on Facebook, and I'm sure it'll pop right up. You'll see a guy in a, I think it's a pink tie there and his little profile picture looking all, uh, looking all snazzy. So, Mike? All I do is Twitter, at mchapel 51 uh, Facebook, I, I just I, I have my limitations. When when you get older, you just sort of limit what you do, so mm-hmm. you don't make a fool of yourself too much. I, I, I personally, I'm I'm a fan of uh, I'm I like Twitter more than the other. I, I just do more than the other uh, social media, more than Facebook, more than Instagram. I think it, it's a unique medium that immediately allows you to get get your thought out there. And- I've always said that. Again, I, I hearken back to the to the good old days. Twitter is a great thing and a bad thing because yep. good, things get out there quickly and things get out there quickly that aren't substantiated. And as doing what we do, it's sometimes it's hard to pick and choose on what's good and what's bad and what's true and what's not. But it's a world we live in. And you always get caught up by uh, by the fake Adam Schefter accounts. I, I, the- <laughs> I, I, I've been bitten a couple of times. I've got I've got to look for that blue dot. I just I, I got to do that. Mike has the blue dot. You have the blue dot right on you. I believe do you? So. Yes, I I know I have the blue dot on me. So you can certainly check us out there. Mike Chapel, Dave Griffiths on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. 